Uh, if you're visiting today, we're glad that you're here. You're actually coming at the, the last sermon of a series that goes back to August. So let me tell you what we've been studying and why we have been studying what we've been studying. We've been looking at the first four chapters of Genesis. And the reason that we've been looking at the first four chapters of Genesis it is because it is the seed upon which all things flow. And one of the things that we've said about our culture is we're moving more and more away from a biblical understanding that there are distinctions. And moving more and more toward creating a reality either in your own mind or kind of this new kind of paganism where we all have to think alike. Now, where do we see this in Genesis? Well, we, we see this uh, reflecting the Godhead. That God is one, but He's in three persons. So there's the one and the many. Uh, that there's the creator and the cre- creature. That God made us in His image apart from the animals. There's distinction between animals and human beings. There's a distinction between male and female. God created us male and female in His image. That we're one, but we're different. We've seen the difference between grace and mercy and rebellion. We've seen the distinction between Cain and Abel. Now today we come to our last distinction. And the distinction that we'll see is this distinction between two cities, two civilizations, uh, the city of God and the city of man. And so let's open to God's Word. And read Genesis chapter 4. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mahuahel, and Mahuahel fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, the name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. And Adar, and Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of those who play the lyre and the, hop, and the pipe. And Zillah bore Tubal Cain, and he was the forger of the instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. And Naamah said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are the true and living God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And we thank you that the world exists because you spoke and it came into being. And Father, we thank you that everything that you created was good because you're good. Father, we're grateful that you have made us in your image to to be like God, to be able to love, to be holy and just and good. But Father, we also thank you that you're also our redeemer because we're not good all the time. And we're not as righteous as we should be. And so we thank you for the work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come into this world to reverse the curse and to make all things new. So Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us this morning, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to understand what this text is saying and to apply it to our hearts. And Father, we pray for those uh, who might not know you. Maybe they're seekers today. I pray that you would give them an open heart. We pray that your word would be applied to them as well as us who are believers who need to be reminded every week of your mercies and your grace that are only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. I'm sure that all of you can name a book or two that's had a tremendous impact on your life. Uh, Maybe a book that you've read that's actually changed your view of things, either for good or maybe even for ill. Uh, A book that's maybe uh, strengthened your faith, confirmed your faith, or maybe a book that's created doubts, maybe undermined your faith. As a pastor, I read a lot of books. I've read a lot of books over the years. But without a doubt, the book besides the Bible, of course, I have to say the Bible is the most important book. But the book besides the Bible that's had the greatest impact on my life is Pilgrim's Progress. In fact, I've probably read it 15 or 16 times as I've led many people through uh, this book. The reason the book is so important to me is because it fell in my hands at a very important point in my life. I had uh, been a Christian about three years. And in my 20th year, I was 20 years old, that third year was probably the hardest year of my life. Even to the point where I began to wonder, you know, what good has it been to be a Christian? This is, life was better before. And so I began to realize, though, that your marriage to Christ is more than a honeymoon. You get off the honeymoon, and you understand that you're married to Christ, and the joys have been united to Him to know His love and His mercy. But like any good, healthy marriage, you kind of go, you come off the honeymoon, and then you learn that your marriage is not just about each other. That your marriage is really a commitment to one another and a commitment to the community that God has put you. It is a commitment to your children. And so it's this process where we begin to learn in marriage how to love one another in this journey of life to forgive and encourage, to go through our hard times together for the sake of our children, for the sake of the body of Christ, for the sake of our neighbors that live next door, that this couple is committed to one another and they love each other. Well, I had to learn that as a young believer. I had to begin to grow up and mature and, and as it were, to bear the fruit of having union with Christ. And so God, in my 20th year, began to bring things in my life so difficult 
And then I fell upon this book, Pilgrim's Progress. Now, if you don't know anything about Pilgrim's Progress, what it is, it is, it is an allegory of, of a Christian who comes to Christ, and his name is Christian, and he leaves the city of destruction because he became convinced from God's Word that this city would be destroyed, and he begins to move toward Christ, and he meets Christ, and along the way he is told to walk the straight and narrow path. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the temptations are, no matter what happens in your life, you are to walk that path. And as I read this book and all the different trials and the tribulations and the doubts, and, uh, and I could identify with so many of them. I could identify with worldly wise men uh, in the church who were saying, hey, listen, don't get too serious about your faith. Have you ever heard that one? You don't have to go through all that trouble that evangelist tells you about. That's not the way to go. And, uh, and so, but halfway between the city of destruction on his way to the celestial city where the Lord of the hill lived. That he'd been made a citizen of that kingdom, of that city. He had to go through Vanity Fair. Now, Vanity Fair was a city right in the middle. And a straight and air path went right straight through Vanity Fair. And before they went to Vanity Fair, Evangelist comes again and he warns them not to buy their wares. And so he, they go into, into Vanity Fair and you had Britain Street and Italy Street, the, the French Street, and all these names of the cities of the nations. And everyone was selling their wares and wanting to sell their wares to Christian and a companion that he, he met who would die there named Faithful. And so while they were there, when they first walked into the city, they began to mock them initially, just made fun of them. You know why? Because they had a different kind of clothes on they had a righteousness that was not a worldly righteousness. They were clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the allegory, right? And so they looked different. But they went from mocking them to begin to really despise them because they would not buy the stuff of the city. They just wanted to get through. Well, eventually they, they were falsely accused, uh, faithful, uh, was martyred. And then in the city uh, was one named Hopeful who became a Christian through the testimony and how these men lived their lives so differently than the citizens of Vanity Fair. And so they, they leave and they eventually make it to, to the celestial city. But let, let me tell you what struck me about this book. And if you've never read it, I'd encourage you to read it. I, I would encourage you to read it, especially if, if you're wanting to know, how do I navigate this life? How do I live in this world? Well, what struck me was the reality of the two cities, right? Vanity Fair and the Celestial City. Vanity Fair, where the Lord of the Hill was not, and the Celestial City to come, where the Lord of the Hill who loved them and gave himself for them dwelt. And in my mind, it became very clear that I had to make up my mind one of two ways, and I'd encourage you to do the same thing. If there is no celestial city, and there is no vanity fair, would you, can we all agree how stupid it is for these Christians in the Middle East losing their heads? 
like thousands upon thousands have died in the last month. How silly. Or let's just bring it down to us. How silly for you to give your money. Like give the money that you're saying, it's not mine, it's the Lord of the hills. And he's not raised from the dead. Think of all the good stuff you could have bought. Or think of all the pleasures that are there. Uh, The pleasure of buying season tickets or the pleasure of sex or food or drink. And one thing is for sure, Athens, Georgia is Vanity Fair. You can do it all here in Athens, can't you? One of the reasons I came to this city. 70% unchurched, people living in Vanity Fair. But on the other hand, think about it this way, especially today if you're, you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you're a Christian. You're not even sure what it means to be a Christian. According to the Scripture, you're a citizen of one city to the other. But imagine how foolish it would be to live your life for the accolades of men, for sexual pleasure, uh, for degrees, for acceptance, and it's passing away. <laughs> and, and you're not a citizen of heaven. That's what our text is about. This is an amazing text. It really is. Every time I study the scriptures, I, I, you know, I read it and, and I then have to go study it. Sometimes you read it, you go, why is that there? And then you go study it and you go, wow, this is amazing. Well, let me tell you what's amazing about the scripture. is Augustine, who was writing an apologetic for the pagans who were blaming the Christians for the fall of Rome, wrote a book called The City of God and the City of Man. And he said, civilizations have fallen long before Rome. Don't blame it on the Christians. But what he did is he began his book of the history of man in this text. And so what I want us to see this morning is the city of man, uh, in the city of God. And then finally wants to see, if you're, not in, if you're not a citizen of this city, how can you become a citizen of the heavenly city? So the first thing to see is this. Notice uh, we see uh, the city of man. We see this in verses 16 through 24. I'm not going to reread them. But what we learn is about the descendants of Cain and what we would call their development of civilization. Now, if you, if you read this text on, on the t- surface, seriously, if you read it, you go, and, and I, you know, I've never really studied this text. So you're like, okay, so he's kind of giving a, what, what's happening here to the descendants of Cain. But wow, that's kind of really odd, that poem at the end about how I'm going to Return vengeance 70 times 7, and he's writing a poem to his two uh, wives that he was a polygamist with. Right? You look at that and you go, that's kind of weird. But let me tell you this. The Puritan said that, uh, that if you are to find the di- diamonds, you must dig in the mud. They, they're not just laying on the top of the grass. Uh, there is a sense where you begin to see the realities that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God as you begin by the Holy Spirit to dig and to see or to listen to preaching uh, that is opening up the Word of God that's there. So what we see here is real history. 
It's the, it's the history of the antediluvian period. You say, well, how do we know what that history is? Because God revealed it to Moses. Now, who is Moses writing to? Where is Moses writing? Can y'all remember this? We've talked about this many, many times. He's writing to the descendants of Seth, who are shepherds, who are called as God's people through Abraham by God's grace out of this heritage, who've been living in the bondage of civilization being built upon their backs by the descendants of Cain. You better believe they're hearing this. Now, to grasp the understanding of the city of man, you have to begin with Cain. you have to begin with the individual. We have to go back and look at Cain, because you see, governments and societies and your sororities and your fraternities and Redeemer and the church and all these different organizations, guess what they're made up of? You. Governments are made up of people and their ideas and their thinking. And we'll see that in just a minute. But you've got to understand it always begins with you and where your citizenship is. Now here's what we've seen so far. Is that Adam and Eve plunged the world into sin. That's why there's sin in the world. That's why there's evil in the world. Because they didn't believe the goodness of God. They believed the lie of the serpent, who we find out later, Satan. And guess what? There's intelligent evil in the world. Can we all agree with that? Whatever you want to call Satan, evil doesn't come from rocks. It comes from a person. So he brought up in their minds the question of the goodness of God using the very word of God. And so they sinned. And let me tell you what the Bible teaches, that everybody in this room, you sinned in Adam. His sin was imputed to you. It's the fountainhead of everything. Either life or death. But what's amazing about Adam and Eve, as I began to study uh, the text, is that Adam and Eve were apparently men and women of faith. You know, how do we see that? Well, well, God makes this promise in the midst of cursing them, there will be a promised seed. And then Adam names Eve, his wife, Eve. God does it. And it means mother of the living. So Adam is living by faith that God is going to bring the promised seed that would crush Satan's head. And it's right there in Genesis 3.15. I don't have time to go over this, but the whole Bible revolves around this. All of history revolves around this seed. That whether you're in Adam or you're in the second Adam, in Jesus Christ, who's revealed as that said. And then Eve names, uh, names uh, Cain, and when she names Cain, the, the word literally means the man. <laughs> he's the one. That's really what she's thinking. That's what he's thinking, is that we have the promised Messiah. But far be it that they, they got a Messiah. Guess what they got? They're going to murder. Now, you could say, well, wow, this definitely shows the impact of sin. Now, the sin immediately leads to murder. But really what you see here is this heart of Cain. Now, we talked about this several weeks ago, but I have to re-remind us because if you start blaming everybody else for society, then you are of Cain. The reason, the, reason the, the world's way it is is because of Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump or 
their supporters. Or You understand how we do this stuff? I'm not speaking one way or the other about that. But the problem begins at the heart of man, and the heart of man is a man wants what a man wants. Sin is, is man turned in on himself. Now, where do we see this? Well, God comes to Cain. He says, Cain, listen. Look, you can give an acceptable sacrifice. And basically the acceptable sacrifice was, I just want you. And what did Cain want to do? Cain is like you who are church people today that don't know Christ. Cain said, well, I'm bringing my portion. And if that's not good enough, then he became angry. Again, one of the ways you know you're not a citizen of heaven and united to Christ is because you're angry all the time. But he was angry, right? And what did he do? He killed his brother. So God comes to him and he says, where's your brother? And then Cain, God gives him the opportunity again to repent. Trust me, God is good and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's slow to anger. Even with you, I don't care what your sins are. He is gracious. And all you need to do is turn to him. But does Cain turn to him? No, Cain does not turn to him. What does Cain do? Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? I don't care about my brother. So, you know what sin is? Sin is always you wanting what you want. It's not a life given, as it were, to Lord, here's my body, you do with me what you want to. Romans 12, chapter 1, make your body a living sacrifice. You know what it is? Sin is always that you need what you want. Now, dear brothers and sisters, can't you see that's the source of your own unhappiness? That you're never happy because you can't get what you want, but nobody ever does. Well, that's, 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 the, that's the, the heart of this civilization. So now you follow the descendants. And I had to say that because now we're going to talk about the group of people. And so we see that, that Cain takes off. He goes to the land of Nod, which means wanderings. But he builds a city, a place of fortification. God said, I'll protect you. But he's going to protect himself. He builds a city. And then we see these descendants from Cain. And then we come to the seventh descendant, the same way that, seventh, that Seth is a seventh descendant from Adam. Lamech is a seventh descendant. And we learn some amazing things about his descendants. And what we learn from them is that they are really amazing entrepreneurs and creators. So so what you see these men doing is creating civilization. Now let me say this about civilization. It's not a bad thing. All the things that we're going to see that they, they, they do are in and of themselves good things. Uh, cities are great places. I mean, you know, I don't have to go milk my cow out in the backyard. And I do have three of them in my backyard. That's a joke. I don't have a cow in my backyard. I go to the Publix. And then I decide, well, I don't want to cook tonight. So I go over here and I, I eat over at Brett's. And then I decide, you know what, honey, let's go take in a, let's go take in a, a, a movie. So I go and I see the arts. Or let's go, let's go listen to uh, Jean uh, Jury as she sings in the choir with the maze. And let's go listen to a concert. So really, in reality, what you see here is that 
It's a world of material success. Do you see the success that's here? Let me tell you, the Bible is always honest. Yeah, you'd almost think, well, these terrible sinners, they're just going to eke out an existence wandering out there. No, because they're creating the image of God, they take the very raw materials that God has given and they use it and they create it. The whole idea of a garden was creation. So they're creating in these different areas. The difference is they do it for themselves. It is the civilization that doesn't want God. Um, it's a world of material uh, uh, success. You know, it's interesting. Do you know that the writers of Scripture are often bothered by the success of the descendants of Cain? Are you ever bothered by the fact that, man, here are these people, they're the most gifted people I've ever met in my life. They're the best musicians. I've been working on the piano all my life. And here's this guy. He's a pagan, and he's ten times better than I am. You know, the psalmist says this. Behold, these are the sons of Cain, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked. Every morning. You see, the psalmist sees it. Do you ever see that? Do you ever look around and you go, man, why do they have all the nice stuff? Well, to their credit. And, and, and to credit to those uh, who are the city of man, they work hard. They're industrious. Which I've always said, when I used to be a campus minister at Vanderbilt, I always tell the students, you'd be the best writers. You'd be the best at what you do. But don't do it for yourself. Do it to serve others. Do it to the honor of Christ. Make lots of money because there's pain and suffering. Don't stock it all away in your 401k. They have enough money that when you die, you can leave it to someone else. And so, so, so you should honor that. Um, I've often thought if, if I had a child that was dying and I could go to a Jewish doctor who's the best in the world that's never lost a patient, or I could go to a Christian doctor who's going to pray with me before they operate, but he's lost eight or nine patients, I'm going to the Jewish doctor. Why? Because, because he is reflecting more the image of God, but the difference is you do it to make a name for yourself. Now, one last thing before I come to, to my last point here. Um, as we look at the, at the, uh, the city of man, <clears throat> is the problem with, with the city of man is as much as it controls the world, it tries to control uh, the environment, he can't control himself. We see this with Lamech. He, buy, he marries two wives. God said you should marry one woman so that you might become one, that you might know the blessing of a family. And so he marries two wives. And, and then, then he becomes angry and he writes this poem about killing a man that simply bruised him. And, uh, and God said, I'll bring vengeance seven times on those who would harm Cain. He says 70 times seven. 
will I bring vengeance. And so what you see in the city of man is building a civilization that wants to have nothing to do with God. No trust, no submission. Now, I don't do culture wars. Y'all know that. But I can tell you that in our culture, we're moving more and more in the West into the culture of death. Moving away from the idea that we as Christians are to be salt and light in the city of man, as the city of God, to where we pretty much maybe kind of subtly joined in to that. And so the salt and the light is gone. And, and, and can we all agree that we're kind of in a post-Christian era? Can we all at least agree with that? But you see, God is gracious. And at the end of our text, we learn about the other city. And, and I have to be brief with this for time. But the other city is the city of God. Now, what's interesting is you, you, by the end of the, of the flood, you, you don't hear any more of the descendants of Cain. They're gone. They're wiped out. But God in His grace raises up another city. It's the city of God. And the seventh from Adam is Seth. I mean Enosh, who was the descendant of Seth, who God raised up because He made a promise that through the seed all the nations will be blessed. Well, the seed would have been cut off, but God raises up Seth. The seventh from Adam is Enosh. You know what the name Enosh means? It means weakness. You know what the name Nod means? The city of Nod, it means fortress. And so God is going to, he's been sitting back watching this, and you three out through the whole Bible, you see the civilizations are being created. But again, here are the Jews who've been building the civilization by the cruel Egyptians. And sometimes we go and we look, man, this is marvelous what man has made. Go to New York and, and you see the pyramids and you see all these things. But you know what? We never ask who are the backs of man's accomplishments being built upon. Power and lust and greed. God raises up another city. You know what that city is? Those of you who are here today that have been called by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The church. And you know, there's always just been one church. And it goes all the way back in the beginning. And we follow the lineage of Abel through Seth, through Enoch. Let me tell you something. The way we enter into this city And the way we become citizens of this city is this eternal God became weak. That He came in the flesh to take the curse so that we might change our citizenship from Cain to the citizenship of Christ Himself. Um, I, 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 I have to close on this. Um, and it, it didn't come up on my own. Um, uh, I got this. I'll confess. I got this one from Tim Keller. Uh, he has an amazing way of looking at things. If you all don't know him, he's a pastor in New York City, and he's speaking to the secular mind. And he was asking the question. He was saying, how, so how is it, how is it 
that we can become citizens of heaven. And what does that look like? He says, if you're citizens of heaven, there is a power in your life. And, and, he, and he notes the power is the opposite of Lemek's power. Do you notice what Lemek says? I am captain of my fate. I'm master of my soul. And what does he do? He says, seven times 70, I'll bring vengeance. You know, Peter comes to Jesus Christ and says, so exactly how many times are we supposed to forgive? Remember that? And how many times are you supposed to forgive your wife and your husband and your father and your mother and the people who screwed you over in business? How many times are you supposed to forgive them? Seven times? Seven times 70? It's a number of perfection. You know what it means is that you always forgive them. You will always forgive them. So how do you know you're a citizen of heaven? Can, do you really have this power to forgive? If you don't, then you don't understand that Jesus Christ came to the world and he forgave us our sins. Now again, to quote, three things fell on Jesus that should have fallen on Cain. A restless wonder on the earth. Son of man had no place to lay his head. When they find me, they'll kill me. Well, they didn't kill Cain. But in the garden, they found him. And I'll be hidden from your presence. But God was always, Cain was always in the presence of God. All he had to do was turn. But it was on the cross that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. That is the curse. For you. So what's, going, so what's going to change us to make us citizens of heaven that know the joy and the light, no matter the circumstances, to love Athens, to love our neighbors, to love Downtown Academy, to love Parkview, to love your brother and sister at Redeemer. And you know what it is? When you begin to comprehend the love of mercy of God to you through Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Are you a citizen of heaven? Do you sense that power? Of course I forgive. Are you a vengeful person? Are you a person that's never going to forget? Well, let me tell you what. If you're a vengeful person, you know what you can do this morning. You can come to Jesus. And he'll change you. It's a lot of work after he changes you, sure, because you still have the flesh. So, dear brothers and sisters, what, what, are you a citizen of heaven? Are you a citizen of this world? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, the head of the church. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us a new, a new garment, your righteousness. <clears throat> we thank you that you've given us the seal of the Holy Spirit. We thank you you've given us each a walk in this, in this life, a walk that's difficult, but a life that is to enter into your suffering, taking up our cross, and through that, loving one another. So, Lord, as we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together, and we thank you. We thank you that you're so kind and gracious and forbearing. We love you, Lord our God, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.